and welcome to episode seven of That's All I Know, the podcast for the perpetually curious. Uh, I'm Danielle. I like learning stuff. I love making it everyone else's problem. <laughs> and I've got resident lecturer. All right. Hi. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Elaine, Danielle's mum. Back for another um, round where I'm definitely probably not going to get the clue. And she probably definitely will get my uh, facts right at the end. So let's see. Let's see. I might not. I feel confident, to be honest with mine today. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, your clue Mm. is madness in the fast lane. Madness in the fast lane. Fast lane has to be, I guess it's the fast lane on the motorway, I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fast lane on the motorway. Madness. I'm presuming it's not the group. <laughs> um, I feel like they're sort of more your sort of middle lane guys. Um, madness in the fast lane. Uh, I don't know. I'll admit I've stolen that clue. Oh, okay. That clue is the title of a documentary mm. about what I'm going to tell you all about. Oh, okay. That's what I was watching while you were writing. Okay, so is that an actual... Um, is that an actual clue, though? Or is that just something... Is that an actual clue about what it is? Um, I guess so. Some mad stuff did happen on the motorway. Okay. <laughs> A lot of mad stuff happens on the motorway. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you about Ursula and Sabina Erickson mm-hmm. and their very bad summer of 2008. Okay. They're identical twins. They are the youngest of four siblings. They're from Sweden, but by the year 2000, Ursula is living in the US and Sabina's living in County Cork in Ireland. Okay. She lives with her partner and two kids. Mm -hmm. So far, so normal. If they had a dog, it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing stays normal from this point on. Okay. So, sorry, hold on. Ursula is in the US. Ursula is in the US. Okay. Sabina is in Ireland. Sabina. Okay. So in May 2008, Ursula visits Sabina. Mm -hmm. And according to Sabina's partner, they become inseparable on her visit there. Okay. And for reasons unknown, they decide to hop on a ferry. Without telling Sabina's partner or her kids, they hop on a ferry to Liverpool. Hmm. From there, or while they're there, actually, they go to the police. The morning that they arrive in Liverpool, they go to the police Mm. because Sabina's concerned about the safety of her kids. Why she go to Liverpool then? We don't know. (laughs) Why not take them to Liverpool either? Well, this is the thing. Liverpool police followed up with the Irish police and they found out that Sabina had had a row with her partner. Right. The night before they left, or the night before they arrived in Liverpool. Right. So, because of events that follow, it's not really clear whether that fight or argument or whatever actually made her concerned for the safety of the kids. Right. In which case, why didn't they take the kids? 
Yeah. Or whether it's like a malicious report mm. because she's got the up with him or whatever. Okay. Um, but there doesn't seem to have been any more follow-up on it, so it seems the kids were fine. There wasn't actually any danger yeah. there. Okay. But that's the first thing they do when they get to Liverpool. Mm. After that, by midday that day, they're on a National Express coach to London. Okay. And we don't know why they're going to London, because they never get there. Mm. They didn't make it here. The coach stopped at Kill Services on the M6. Okay. Um, it's not a scheduled comfort break or whatever. Um, they're just swapping drivers. Okay. But they stopped there. According to a police report, the twins get off because they don't feel well. But the driver and the manager of the services have a bit of a different story mm. of why they were left there. Okay. So the driver says that they wouldn't let him store their bags, like, you know, the little underneath storage section. Yeah. He wouldn't let them put their bags there. I mean, they wouldn't let him put their bags there. Um, he said they were behaving erratically and he asked to search their bags before they got back on at Kiel Services. Mm. They said no. I mean, I've never been on a coach where they've even blinked an eye about your bags. I mean, I've, I did a lot of coach journeys when I was sort of younger. And honestly, they just lob your bags in the bottom of the thing where you put them on the coach with you. I've never come across anyone sort of looking suspicious at your bags or anything. Well, he wouldn't have been suspicious if they'd just let him chuck their bags on top of the thing or underneath. Oh, I see. But they wouldn't let him. They were, like, mm. properly holding on to them. Mm. So he was suspicious. So he asked to look in their bags. They said no. So he was like, you're not getting back on the coach then. Yeah. So he left them at the services for the next coach coming through to pick them up. Mm. Before he left, though... He alerted the manager of the services, Yeah. Um, told them about their behaviour and asked her to deal with it. So she observed them. Mm. They were acting strange with their bags. She said they were having a conversation. It seemed like they were plotting something. She was also very suspicious of them. And mm. as you might guess, she suspected they had a bomb. Mm -hmm. So she called the police. Now what alerted her to that? What would have made her think that? That they're being really cagey with their bags okay. and acting suspicious and plotty and secretive. So do you know what? I think bomb is the last thing I'd think. Really? It didn't when you were just talking about it, I thought, what's happening in there? Are they smuggling money? Are they smuggling drugs? Are they smuggling souvenirs from Liverpool to resell in London are they <laughs> smuggling infants that they've stolen from somebody or somewhere you know what I mean but bomb, bomb, bomb would be the very last thing I'd think about <laughs> you know I'd think of diamonds and jewellery and all that before I came to, to bomb I think you think they pulled off a heist in Liverpool they might have done you never know do you because mm. you're quite like I say on a coach you're quite under the radar you know you don't go through any kind of checks really 
Well, that's the thing. It's really easy to travel on a coach and not be suspicious or get yeah, picked up for exactly. anything. But they managed to be the most suspicious <laughs> people this bloke's ever seen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the police respond. They turn up at the services. They speak to the twins. Uh, but they decide they're harmless and just leave with no further action. Mm. Okay. Leave the twins at the services. They can do what they like. Um. They left them with a number to get in touch with the coach company to like get them to pick up pick them up on the next coach that comes through. But they didn't like actually really take any action. Right, they didn't okay. really think much of them. Two hours and twenty minutes later, yeah, the police were called again. Oh, what have they been up to? They were seen on CCTV walking up the central reservation of the M6. Right. So, you know, there's all the CCTV cameras. Mm. They're, like, relayed to the highways agency offices. So yeah. they're just, like, observing and then tell the highways agency vehicles to go where they needed, yeah. basically. Yeah. So the people in this office saw them walking up the central reservation, um, contacted a highways agency unit, to get to them so they did before they got there they attempted to run across the motorway mm. in doing that sabina got hit by a car in the fast lane but only sustained minor injuries how no idea but the highways agency arrive they're like taken off to the hard shoulder and chatting to them. Um, the Central Motorway Police Group respond. They send a couple of police officers, and those police officers happen to be accompanied by a camera crew filming motorway cops. Oh. You know I love motorway cops. Yeah. Traffic cops, police interceptors, all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they just happen to be filming with the police officers that arrive at the scene. Mm. So once they get there, um, the highways agency bots are telling them all what's going on, what these couple of women have been up to. And while they're filling the police in, Ursula makes a run for it again. And she runs into the side of an Arctic lorry, driving at what speed? If it's its maximum, 56 miles an hour. Driving at 56 miles an hour. Right. Like, just run straight into the side of this lorry. Right, so she's a goner. She she gets dragged under the lorry. Yeah. And immediately after she runs out, Sabina runs out and gets hit head-on by a car in the slow lane. Right. They don't know why. Don't know why they ran out? Don't know why they ran out. Right. So Ursula's pulled under the lorry. Her legs are crushed. Um, Sabina's unconscious for 15 minutes, but they both survived. How on earth <laughs> is that possible? They both survived. I mean, they can't have survived, really, because how's that even possible? In the fast, in the slow lane, even, cars are going at 60 miles an hour minimum, really. Hmm. You know, or, or 70 on a good day, because that's your speed limit. That's where you're meant to be. You're only meant to be in lane two and three if you're overtaking. 
Yeah. So, you know, if we believe all those adverts that have been on TV, you know, where they show, if you hit me at 30, I've got much, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Right? So she gets she gets hit. She get, she runs into an Arctic lorry, gets dragged under it, but still survives. Yeah. Okay, that's mad. Go on. And despite the state she's in, like her legs are crushed, she can't move the lower half of her body. Well, she ain't running back out there again, is she? Let's be honest. But the top half, she is fighting. Like, she has to be restrained by police because she's, like, screaming at them, spitting at them, scratching them, like, all sorts. She's... Like, this woman is... She seems fine. (laughs) Other than the fact that she can't stand up. Like, you'd think nothing had happened to her. Oh. The one in the slow lane? Now, the other one, she was, as I said, unconscious for about 15 minutes. Once she wakes up, uh, police and paramedics are trying to get her to stay on the ground because she's just been hit by a car and she's not having it. She just gets up. And there's the state of the car, like the whole windscreen is smashed and like the, the top of the roof is like dented down. Why, though? Why would the roof be dented? Well, because it hit her and, like, threw her threw up. up. and she landed on the roof? Well, she didn't land on the roof, but it's, like, the front corner by the windscreen. All oh, right. But, yeah, the car is mashed up. She's fired. She's just standing up like nothing happened. Oh, my God. She shouts to Ursula, they're going to steal your organs. Mm. Ursula says to the police who are trying to restrain her, I recognise you, I know you're not real. So they don't know what's going on with these two, but they're pretty sure they're on drugs. Yeah. After Sabina gets up, she punches a police officer and then runs onto the other side of the motorway. (laughs) What? She doesn't get hit this time, but for the third time, she's running into traffic on the motorway. I mean, are they like playing Froggle or something with real people? No one knows. No one knows what they were doing. Like at this point, they they suspect it's either a suicide pact or that they're high. Yeah. But they they don't know what they're running from, why they're running into traffic. Mm. Um, but both of them, at different points, are screaming for help telling people to call the police, telling the police to call the police. And they're just like, we are the police. They're like pointing at their badges and stuff. And yeah. these, these women just are not having it. Now, after she runs into traffic the third time, they restrain her with help from members of the public. Whenever I hear these things, I'm like, who are these members of the public? Why are you getting involved? Well, there's always some do-gooders about, aren't there? There's always some nosy parkers that want to get in, in the mix with these things, isn't there? If you see a woman that has just ran onto the motorway three times and is still running around and fighting people, I'm staying away. You'll get in the fast lane and get out of there, <laughs> Yeah. But with help from members of the public, yeah, they restrain her put her in an ambulance 
and she's finally handcuffed and sedated. But it takes six people to restrain her. Mm, she meant it. Hmm? She meant it, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Like like while they're all like holding a limb each and like trying to, to restrain her and get her to the ambulance, mm. she's like kicking them away. With her broken legs. No, she hasn't got broken legs. Oh. She was fine, nothing happened to her. She was unconscious, but Oh sorry, I got mixed up. I thought it was Ursula. No, no, no. No, Ursula's okay. not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Six people to restrain her. Like she's crazy strong. Mm. So, no idea what the reason is, but with them both immobile at this point, they can take him to the hospital. When they get him to the hospital, they find that there are no drugs or alcohol in their systems. Right. So that rules out one possibility. They also don't really think it's a suicide pact. No. So they, they just have no idea what's going on. Mm. So Ursula's kept in hospital. She's in critical condition. She would be. She got hit by an Arctic. Mm. But Sabina's released after five hours. Well, that seems a bit mad. She's fine. Well, yeah, but the fact that she's <laughs> um, punched a police officer and then, you know, all of that, surely she would be released to... To the police, not... Yeah, so she's released oh. from hospital and okay. taken into custody. Right, okay. Um, when they do that, she's she's fine. Again, they're recording all of this for this documentary, well, for motorway cops. Yeah. But it's all in this documentary. Yeah. And she's calm. She's just battering with the police officers. Mm. They don't even handcuff her to take her into custody. She's just completely normal. Oh, God. And... They think that she either just doesn't care or doesn't remember what happened because yeah. at no point when she's in custody does she ask about Ursula. Oh. So they're, they're wondering, does she just not know what happened? Well, she's had quite the day, isn't it? All that's in one day. All that in one day. Yeah. Um, so she's taken into custody. She's had a court hearing in court she pleads guilty to trespassing on the motorway i didn't know that was a crime no it makes sense as one but i didn't know it was one yeah uh she pleads guilty to that and to assaulting a police officer right she is sentenced to one day in custody which she'd already served because she was there overnight Mm -hmm. and she's released without a psychiatric assessment what just let out, free to go, you're done. Mm. While she's being processed, she says to an officer, we say always in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. Usually at least one more follows, perhaps two. Now, I wouldn't say they're accidents, Mm. but this is far from the last thing that goes on with her. Right. So after she's released, she ends up wandering around Stoke-on-Trent. Right. Um, She's looking for the hospital that Ursula's in. So she does Mm. know that she's hurt. Yeah. And knows that she's in hospital, but she doesn't know where or doesn't know where the hospital is. She's trying to find her. Right. 
while she's wandering about, looking quite lost, she runs into two men. They are Glenn Hollinshead and Peter Malloy. Okay. They strike up a conversation. She starts it up by saying, nice dog. They're walking their dog. Um, so she like, gives the dog a little fuss. She's really friendly. Um, but Peter Malloy says she seems nervous. Mm. And that kind of worries him. Right. She tells them that she's... Uh, like trying to find somewhere to stay because her sister's in hospital um, and ask them for directions to a and b or a hotel or something like that. Right. Glenn tells her there, there's nothing like that near there mm. and offers to let her stay at his house or so a room in his house. Like you do. She's carrying all her stuff in a plastic bag, like a see-through plastic bag that the police have given her. This is including like a laptop, a grand in cash... It's very weird. Mm. What happened to the bag she had on the coach? Maybe it got messed up on the way away. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. But it's it's obviously quite a strange thing yeah, to strange look, yeah. for someone to be doing. Yeah. She's wearing Ursula's jacket, so like mismatched to her outfit. She was wearing red. And she clearly doesn't know the area or anything like that. So Glenn feels a bit sorry for her offers her this room. Yeah. Now Glenn's a former RAF airman. Okay. He's a qualified paramedic. Um he's described as honest, reliable, helpful. He's like a real good Samaritan in yeah. this story. Um you know, sees her in distress, needing help. Yeah. Offers her a room. Mm. She accepts, goes back to his house. Peter Malloy goes with them and he says that through the rest of the evening her behaviour just gets stranger. Mm. She won't answer any questions about her sister. So like, they obviously don't know this woman. All they really know about her is she's her looking sister's for her sister in hospital, hospital. Looking for somewhere to stay. Yeah. Um, so he just, you know, small talk is like, oh, what happened to your sister? She, did, she won't answer any questions about her or what happened to her. Or anything like that. Mm. Um, she every now and then is getting up and like peeking out of the curtains. Okay. So Peter, I think quite reasonably, thinks that she's like trying to get away from someone. Um, and you know, is a bit worried that she's bringing danger to their door. Yeah, yeah. So he's still quite suspicious of her. Mm. Later on. She offers them cigarettes from a pack that she's been smoking all evening. They take them. And as soon as they go to light them, she snatches them out of their mouths because they could be poisoned. And they're like, what? What? (laughs) Yeah, you've just been smoking them and you've just offered them. Yeah. Yeah. So Peter's not about it. He's, He's not a fan. There's something up with her, clearly. Yeah. Glenn's happy to let her stay, though. Right. So she does. Peter leaves around midnight. The next day, Glenn gets in touch with his brother. His brother works in A&E, I think, at a local hospital. Yeah. Um, And he gets in touch with him to ask him to help find Ursula. All he knows is she was involved in an accident on the M6 the day Mm. before. Okay. Or not the day before, a couple of days before. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, says, that's all I know. Can you help me find her? Yeah. So, he's doing everything he can to help her. Yeah. Um, you know, he's happy for her to stay with him a bit longer until she finds her sister. So that evening, she's still there. He's cooking dinner. Um, he goes to his next door neighbour to get some tea bags. Yeah. Which is the most British thing you can think of, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he doesn't mention Sabina or anything about like the last 24 hours to his neighbour. He's just like, oh, could I borrow some tea bags? Yeah. Um, the neighbour's busy. He's like, clean this knee down, I think. Um, and just says to him, give me five minutes. I'll go and grab some for you. Yeah. So Ben's like, cool. Cheers, mate. Goes back inside. A minute later, he stumbles back out and says to the neighbour, she stabbed me. Oh my God. Now the neighbour doesn't know who she is. He doesn't know that anyone else is in the house. So he's like, what? <laughs> who? Who stabbed yeah. you? What are you talking about? Yeah. But of course, it's Sabina. Yeah. 24 hours after meeting this bloke, she's stabbed him right through the heart. He's got no chance of survival. Oh. So the neighbour calls in ambulance. It's, you know, they were never going to get there quick enough to save him. But yeah. of course he phones an ambulance. Yeah. Now Sabina knew he'd call an ambulance or call the police or call someone. So she's legged in. Yeah. With a hammer. Right. Not like one of them little like spindly hammers, like a big chunky hammer. More a mallet, yeah, or something. Not a mallet, no, like, like, like the big... that, but metal. Yeah, yeah. It probably has a name. I don't know these things. How does it? How does? How does he know that she legged it with one of them hammers? Or they well, find he, out later. he doesn't know that, but that is what she does. She right, okay. they catch up with her later on. So she is next seen walking along the road. Hitting herself in the head with this hammer. Oh my god. And again, another passerby. What's what's wrong with these people? Just call an ambulance or something. But this guy's driving by, decides to stop and intervene and tries to get the hammer off her. Mm. And she hits him over the head with a roof tile that she had in her pocket. A roof tile? Yeah. I don't know where or when she's got it, but she has this roof tile in her pocket and hits him over the head with it. Right. Um, he said on the documentary that he thought she just punched him, but he found out later it was a tile. <laughs> oh my God. So what again, she... Don't know. Mm. But again, she legs it and paramedics catch up to her. In an attempt to escape from them, she jumps off of a 12-metre bridge onto the A50. She jumps off of a 12-metre bridge yes. on the A50 and lands on the A50? Yes. If you're going to tell me that she got up and walked away from this... She didn't get up and walk away. She's not like completely indestructible. She broke both ankles and fractured her skull, but she did survive the fall. What on earth is she made of, this woman? <laughs> Flipping heck. I mean, oh I, oh, I feel so, like, 
squeamish about the fact that she landed on her just imagine. ankles. Because she must have landed on her feet then, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. If she... Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's really horrible. Yeah. I mean, I the, the documentary is fascinating, but I don't suggest you watch it. I'm not going to watch it. Go on. Like, you know, a lot of the time they sort of keep, like, the main event out of things. But, yeah, you literally watch them run and get dragged under and run and get hit by the car. Do you? Yeah. Oh, my God. And, like, they show afterwards, like, the, like, evidence markers with, like, their blood and, like, her shoe and stuff like that in the road. And, oh. Yeah, it's bad. Right, so she jumps off the bridge. She jumps off the bridge. Of course, she's not escaping anymore. So she gets taken to hospital, and in June of 2008, about two and a half weeks after she's taken to hospital, she's arrested. Right. She spent almost four months in hospital before she was discharged, mm. at which point she was taken into custody and charged with Glenn Hollinshead's murder. Mm. Ursula was also discharged in September, the same month. Right. Um, she was never charged with any crimes. Okay. Because her only crime is trespassing on the motorway. Yeah. And really, after a woman's been in hospital for four months, they're not going to bother. Mm. They only gave Sabina one day in custody because yeah. she punched a police officer. Yeah. So, yeah, she was never charged with any crimes. She was free to go. Yeah. Um, she was still in a wheelchair and stuff. Um, she moved back to Sweden with her brother for a bit and then moved back to the US. Right. She's, I think, just living her life now. Right. Um, the brother told a Swedish newspaper that they were being chased. By who? <laughs> That's not clear. I mean, they definitely kind of been, because they were on a coach. Well, this is the thing. They were at the services for almost two and a half hours before they were seen walking up the central reservation. Mm. But when I say walking, they are just walking up there. They're mm. not running. Obviously, they then run out into the road. But before that, they're just strolling up. No one's chasing them up there. Mm. Um I don't know if it's from Sabina or Ursula that he knows that or whether he just thinks that that's the only reason they would have done that. Um, it just, he just, as as if it's fact, said someone was chasing them. But I'm not sure whether he knows that from them or just that's what he believes. I'm not sure. That's his reason. Sabina never gave an explanation. Right. All the way through interrogation and in the trial and everything, she answered no comment to everything. She never gave an explanation for mm. what they were doing on the motorway, for why she killed Glenn, none of it. And they didn't call Ursula back for this trial? No, it doesn't seem like it. Mm. Yeah, no reason for any of it. Wow. We just have no idea what was going on with them. Okay. So the trial started about a year after she was released from hospital. Mm. 
she pleaded guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility. And it turns out she stabbed Glenn Hollinshead with a kitchen knife five times in a minute. Wow. That's how he died. Okay. The defence and the prosecution each had her assessed by a forensic psychiatrist. Yeah. But the amount of times doing this uh, to check whether it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, it's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> forensic psychiatrist. Yeah. So the defence said that she suffered from induced delusional disorder. And that is where one person's psychotic illness is sort of transmitted to someone that they're close to. Right. Um, so they say that Sabina was under the influence of Ursula. Right. Ursula was the one with some kind of psychotic illness and Sabina was just kind of dragged into that. Right. That's what the defence argue. Yeah. The prosecution say that she suffered from acute polymorphic delusional disorder. And that is where people just have really short psychotic episodes yeah. of like maybe a couple of weeks. Okay. So maybe where her partner said that they were inseparable before they left, maybe that's kind of where it started and then it kind of ran into all this other stuff. Yeah. Both of them are really rare things, but it's not as if one of them has gone for this really obscure very unlikely thing and the other one's gone no it's just this simple thing yeah like there there was something very unusual going on with them mm. so yeah both the defense and the prosecution agree that there was some sort of shared psychosis yeah but the defense say that sabina was influenced by ursula the prosecution say that sabina was the main one ursula kind of got dragged into that yeah um, they also agree that while Sabina was mentally ill at the time of the crime, she wasn't at the time of the trial. Yeah. And that made sentencing really difficult. Okay. The judge of this trial said that it was one of the most difficult cases he's ever presided over. Mm. And I looked up this guy. He's got his own Wikipedia page and a notable cases section, and this ain't even on it. Oh. He was involved in, like, some of the phone hacking stuff. Um, yeah. One of the... I say one of the... I don't know. Was there more than one murder in the riots? In 2000? I'm not sure. 11? 12? One of the ones. Yeah. He was involved in that trial. Um, the Manchester bombing, stuff like that. So he's got, like, all these other things. Yeah. yeah. This don't even make his top five. Mm. But at the time... He said it was one of the most difficult cases I've ever presided over. Yeah. Now, he had a few options that he wanted to do with sentencing. First of all, there was kind of the idea of sending her to a psychiatric hospital. Mm -hmm. He couldn't do that because she was sane at the time of sentencing. Right. His next preference was to give her like an open-ended sentence so she had no fixed release date she would only be released when she was safe to be released right 
Um, he can't do that because, again, both the defence and the prosecution, their psychiatrists, agreed that she was low risk to the public. Okay. So he can't do that. He then thinks he wants her to be supervised after she's released. Right. But again, because she's low risk, he can't do that. Legally, his only option is to give her a fixed sentence with no supervision after her release. Okay. So that's what he does. He gives her a five-year sentence. Killing someone? Um, well, it's manslaughter with diminished responsibility. Hmm. So, I guess the sentences for that aren't massive. Um, and Sabina... Well, the trial was delayed. That's why it was a, a whole year after she was arrested. Yeah. Um, because they had to get her medical records, criminal records, that sort of stuff from Sweden. And she had no history of um, any kind of mental illness, no contact with police in Sweden or in Ireland. Okay. So this is just a, an out-of-the-blue yeah. situation. And, yeah, both psychiatrists have said that she's not a danger to the public. So, yeah, five-year sentence, no supervision when she's free. Mm. The judge says, though, I understand that this sentence will be entirely inadequate to the relatives of the deceased. However, I have sentenced on the basis that the reason for the killing was the mental illness and therefore the culpability of the defendant is low and therefore the sentence I have passed is designed to protect the public. It is not designed to reflect the grief the relatives have suffered or to measure the value of Mr Hollington's life. No sentence that I could pass could do that. It is a sentence which I hope fairly measures a truly tragic event. Sabina was suffering from delusions which she believed to be true and they dictated her behaviour. It is not one of those cases where the defendant could have done something to avoid the onset. Right. So, obviously his family were not satisfied, especially with the lack of an explanation. The judge was not really satisfied with his sentencing options. Yeah. But, you know, he's sort of saying... Yeah. I've done what I can. Yeah. So Glenn Hollandhead's family and friends still want answers to loads of things. Um, they've criticised the criminal justice system for sort of what they see as facilitating his murder. Yeah. His brother Gary said... We don't hold her responsible the same as we wouldn't blame a rabid dog for biting someone. She's ill and to a large degree not responsible for her actions, but her mental disorder should have been recognised much earlier. I do question the criminal justice system for allowing somebody like this to be let out when she is capable of committing such a crime. Her mental condition should have been properly assessed after what she did on the motorway and the experiences the police had. Yeah. Her mental disorder should have been picked up prior to her being let out into the community. Glenn saw Erickson in distress and was just trying to help. He wasn't slow in coming forward to help someone in distress. It was his nature. He was trying to help. He would help anybody. Mm. So they obviously want to know why she was released and yeah. why this was allowed to happen. And yeah, why was she? Yeah, exactly. So she was seen four times by a police surgeon 
a consultant psychiatrist and a social worker, but they didn't have access to the motorway footage. Right. They didn't see that. They could only assess her as she was at the time that they saw Why her. Why wouldn't they have had access to that? Because that's not really what their job is. Their job right. is, look at this person, is she fit to be released? Right, okay. Or actually, they weren't even assessing if she was fit to be released. The only assessment she had was if she was fit to appear in court. Mm-hmm. So they they weren't really doing a proper mental health assessment or anything like that. They were just there to say, she's got to go to court for punching a police officer. Can she do that? Mm-hmm. It was at that point that these people saw her and said, yeah. yeah, that's fine. And then she went to court and they went, okay, you've done your one day, bye. Yeah. So that's all. They never saw the motorway footage. They didn't see... Um, anything about her mental state or her superhuman strength or any of that, yeah. any of that that went on mm. in a couple of days before. They didn't have access to any of that. It was just, look at this woman. Is she fine? Yeah, she's fine. She mm. can go. Mm. That's all it was. So with no obvious signs at that point of anything wrong and the possibility that there were like lingering effects of the sedatives that they gave her. Yeah. There was no reason for those people to yeah, to keep her. To keep her. Now. So I'm guessing her five year sentence, she'd already served a year of it by the time the trial happened. Mm-hmm. And then you get time off if you're alright. Don't you normally? So I'm guessing she was yeah, after a few years, was she? Yeah, she was. Yeah. Um, so those people that assessed her at that point didn't have yeah. any reason to keep her, but the police did. Mm. There is footage that was leaked in 2012 um, from the motorway, filmed at the same time as all the other motorway cop stuff, Yeah. that showed police officers saying that she should be given a 136. What's that? Now, according to MIND, a section 136 of the Mental Health Act allows police to take you to or keep you at a place of safety. Okay. They could do that without a warrant if you appear to have a mental disorder you're in any place other than a house, flat or room where a person is living or garden or garage that only one household has access to and you're in need of immediate care or control. Okay. Meaning the police deem it necessary to keep you or other people safe. Yeah. Police must consult a registered medical practitioner, a registered nurse, an approved mental health professional an occupational therapist, or a paramedic. Okay. It also means that the person being detained has to be given a mental health assessment. Right. And police can hold them for 24 hours after arriving at the place of safety, in this case, the police station. Yeah. And that can be extended for an additional 12 hours if it's not possible to carry out an assessment in that time. Okay. 
So Sabina met the requirements of that. The a police officer at the scene suggested it. Yeah. And they they could have consulted with the paramedics at the scene. But section 136 was not utilised. Right. They never did a full mental health assessment. That's a massive failure. Yeah. So the police allegedly requested that the production team remove the footage from the show and from the documentary. Mm. So you could take that to mean that they could have detained her. Yeah. Could have prevented her from killing Joan Holland's head but they didn't mm. and they knew that and they didn't want it to become public knowledge yeah mm. but that is obviously his family's problem with the whole system is that they even had something there that they could have used to stop her killing someone because her behaviour was obviously bizarre yeah and they just didn't do it. Mm. So by the time she was sentenced, she had already spent 439 days in custody. Yeah. Which is obviously taken off her sentence. Yeah. And I don't think it was five years imprisonment. I think it was a five-year sentence. So, like, not yeah. all of that is okay. imprisonment, right? Yeah. Um, so she was released in 2011. And her whereabouts are unknown. Still now? Still now. Because she was released in protective custody? or No, she just was let out. They believe she went back to Europe, maybe to Sweden, but no one really knows where she is now. And that's all I know about Ursula and Sabina Eriksson. Whoa. I mean, I feel like... They're going to make a sequel <laughs> or something. But I wonder whatever happened to the husband and the kids in Ireland. you see what I mean? Yeah, I guess they're just living their lives, aren't they? Well, yeah, but... I mean, if you're, if you're those kids, your parents been on a documentary and you've seen the footage of stuff, like you say, that there's footage mm. on there of what goes on. Maybe they don't really know. I don't know how old the kids were. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I watching the documentary, I do feel really sorry for the police officers and the uh, like highways agency officers. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, when Ursula ran out to the lorry... Like, there's a, a highways agency bod who's standing there talking to the two of them and, like, tries to pull her back by her jacket and she just, like, pulls herself out of her jacket to run. It's, like, they're just so committed to doing it yeah. and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. What a strange thing. And they don't... How do they not know by a sort of passport and stuff? I guess you don't really know where people go to. Well, well, yeah, that for one. Mm. Two, when they were at the scene, it took them a while to find ID for both of them. Like, they found one passport quite quickly, and then it was only, like, later on that they were like, oh, they're twins, because they found ID for the other one. Right, okay. She could have gone to Ursula. Right? 
She could have got off to us. She could have done. Mm. But that's the thing. If it's, well, really, whichever one of them is the mm. sort of primary... I forget what I forget what the word is that they use. Yeah. But the one that actually has some kind of psychotic disorder. Yeah. Then who's to say what happens if they're reunited? Well, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, Ursula never really did anything illegal. Well, she did do something a bit illegal, but she was never charged with anything. And she doesn't seem to have done anything since. But even once Sabina was sort of free of her, if it was that Sabina was the secondary one, yeah, she still went on to do this other stuff. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Mm. Very interesting. I mean, maybe it was just a complete one-off, and yeah, they're both living their lives, and nothing will ever happen again. But yeah. crazy. Mm. You don't remember this? Um, no, you don't hear about it? No, I don't remember it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Mm. Okay. So, hit me with some facts. I've got some facts for you. This is all, this week, it's all about um, London tourist attractions. Mm. So, always I've got a bit of number in it, as you know. So, I'm going to tell you when these three tourist attractions opened. Mm. You've got to try and, I'm going to say guess. You might not know. Yeah, it's going to be a guess. Um, which one of them is true? Okay. All right. So first of all, we've got the Tower of London. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is a class as a museum, by the way. Okay. Um, and it opened in 1552. The museum or the tower? The museum. Okay. Then you've got the British Museum. Mm-hmm. And the British Museum opened in 1759. Mm-hmm. And then you've got London Zoo, yeah. which opened in 1850. See, I can't really <laughs> think of museums existed in the 1500s. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because you kind of think people were so sort of probably either rich or completely destitute at that time Mm. that who's paying to go to a museum yeah but you know it's either true or it's not Mm. the british museum 1700s london zoo 1850 i've been to the british museum so they're all a while ago yeah. You've been to the British Museum? No. I went when I was at school. And I don't know how old I was. I can't remember what year I was in. But they had the Tutankhamun thing there. Mm. That's why we went. We were doing the Egyptian stuff. Mm. Drawing hieroglyphics and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And they took us to the exhibition and Tutankhamun's tomb was actually there. Mm. On the show. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, this is just going to be a guess. Um... I think, I think the British Museum's true. Do you? Yeah. At what time? Hmm, what 17. year? 72, I don't know. No. 17 something. 1759? Yep. Okay. So, the Tower of London 
which is the oldest museum in London, uh-huh. which I nearly gave away as a clue, which would have messed this actual <laughs> thing up, um, was actually open in 1592. Right. Okay. The British Museum was open in 1759, <laughs> which is amazing that you got it right. I'm guessing you went with the middle, because quite often on TV, like quiz shows and stuff, I go for B out of ABC for some reason, and a lot of times it's the right answer. I don't know why. Anyway, and London Zoo opened in 1828. Right. So it was much earlier than I thought, actually. But um, mm, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have thought it was that old. Yeah. So yeah, there you are. They're very, very... Well, the Tower of London's a very, very old yeah. museum. Um, you know, I'm surprised they weren't more of a a thing of it in sort of like 1992. Like as a, you know, 400 year anniversary or something. I don't remember anything, do you? You have to wait for the 500 year. Oh, okay. I might be right for that. <laughs> but yeah. But um, yeah. Okay. Well done. Thanks. I'm annoyed that you got that right. <laughs> it just felt right. Did it? Yeah. Alright, weird. Okay. <laughs> Alright, well fair enough. Well thanks for the uh story. That was very interesting. I thought so. Mm. Just for and you do know a lot about it, so <laughs> I mean you know oh, everyone else knows. I've watched three different documentary videos. Mm. I mean I only started research on this yesterday. <laughs> You're committed That's what I was doing watching the Olympics till seven o'clock. Thank you, Doug. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us on Twitter at T-A-I-K podcast, on Instagram at That's All I Know podcast, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye.